to keep that open as ever. And let's pray and ask for God's help um, as we look at them together. Our Father God, we um, hear these challenging words and we pray that you would please help us this morning to come with humble hearts, to come to listen, to engage with you. And Father, please would you change us from the inside out as we look at these things. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, imagine you've had breakfast, had your porridge or your shreddies or whatever, whatever you had, you've got your bowl, uh, and, and now you're, you're going to do the washing up. Uh, you get to the washing up and you clean this bowl beautifully on the outside, but you leave the, the remnants of the cereal on the, in the inside. Then lunchtime comes around and you're going to have soup. Lovely, the soup goes in the same bowl. You eat your soup and then fantastic. At the end of lunchtime, you wash up your bowl and again, you clean it beautifully on the outside. But you ignore the inside. So your porridge and soup. Yeah. Dinner time comes around. Spaghetti bolognese, let's go Italian. Let's have it in the bowl again. In it all goes on top of that bowl. Delicious. Time comes to wash up. And you wash up that bowl beautifully on the outside and you ignore the inside. You wouldn't do that, would you? That doesn't make sense. You completely miss the point of washing up, if that's what you do. To clean the outside of the bowl, fantastic, but ignore the middle, the hygiene, where all the food's going. In our passage today, Jesus uses that illustration. He uses that illustration to describe the danger and the foolishness of religious hypocrisy. That the danger of having outsides that look really nice, everything looks clean, everything looks sorted, while on the insides are so full of spiritual dirt. He highlights the danger of there being that huge difference between appearances and what's going on inside. So this is a really important warning for us. I think particularly some of us will be particularly prone to this danger. Maybe it's by nature, by temperament, by upbringing. Maybe you've always been that child. You know, you were brought up and you were well behaved at school, and then you've grown up to be an upstanding member of society, a good moral person. You, you know the importance of doing the right thing, and you love doing the right thing. And if you're honest, you probably like other people seeing you do the right thing too. And from the outside, everything looks good. But it's very easy to not be paying so much attention to what the inside. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you're in church and you've got a role, you've got a position. Uh, and there's that unwritten assumption of what a Christian like you should look like. What a connect leader, say, should be like. And you're always doing everything you can to ensure that you, you meet that standard or appear to meet that standard. So everyone else looks on upon you and says, yeah, they're a good connect leader. And again, ignoring what's going on in our hearts. Some of us will be more inclined to that, to that danger, uh, but it is a danger for us all. Or maybe this morning, I want to say again, you're visiting us uh, and you're in the past have been put off Christian things because of 
religious hypocrisy that you've seen in so-called Christian leaders. I'll tell you what, if that is you, you are right to be disappointed and critical of what you've seen. Jesus was too. Jesus says, look, the path that he is calling his people on is not one of on the outside, do the right thing, perform these tasks, you're all good, and then forget the insides. That's what we're going to see today, is that's not what Jesus calls his people to. In the passage, uh, as it was read, you, know, you heard about the Pharisees and the lawyers. They, they were the religious um, elite, the experts. And Jesus is challenging them. But you might think, well, I'm not a... Well, in one sense, I am a religious leader, but I don't like the title. But, you know, I'm not a religious leader. What's this got to do with me? Well, let's start at the end, and then we'll work our way back. Okay, and the first heading there on your sheets is beware the danger of hypocrisy. Because the crowds, they were flocking to Jesus. They wanted to come and see him, to hear him. Uh, have a look at verse tw- uh, chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, wow, that's quite a sight, scene. He, Jesus, began to say to his disciples first, and here's the warning, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven, uh, yeast, it's a rising agent. I've been getting into bread making. Um, That sounds a bit grand. I do the basic white loaf setting on our bread maker. But I do make the bread in our house. Um, But in that, one teaspoon of yeast, and it filters through the 400 grams of flour and the 270 milliliters of water, and the 20 grams of butter. Okay, that's how much I've done it. Um, it filters through it, and so it spreads, and so the whole bread rises. Ye- that's what yeast does. It spreads. And Jesus is saying, watch out for that pervading, corrosive, spreading corruption of the Pharisees. And what's their problem? What's the- We've got to be aware of their influence. He says, Hypocrisy. That huge mismatch between the outside and the in. Jesus says to the crowd, watch out for them. Because in those days, the Pharisees, they were the the religious leaders. They were the people who were meant to be teaching and setting the example of what it looked like to be one of God's people. And so Jesus is saying, watch out, don't follow that path. Be on your guard against them. They're getting it wrong. But how is it they, how is it that we can beware or watch out for this hypocrisy? Well, we need to know what to look out for. We need to know what dangers to be aware of. And so we're now going to jump back to the beginning and see six warnings, six things to watch out for. And we start off with the Pharisees. And a Pharisee has invited Jesus to come and have dinner with him. But the meal didn't start off in the best way. So have a look now back at chapter 11, verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he, Jesus, did not first wash before dinner. You might agree. Wash your hands, Jesus. Maybe not. Because this washing wasn't to do with hygiene. This was to do with holiness. So the the Pharisees have established this uh, ceremonial washing. 
And it was a sign of ritual cleanliness. Now this didn't come from God's word. This was a man-made Jewish tradition. And they would have to pour water over their hands to, to remove the spiritual uncleanness that came from, from being in this sinful world. And, and actually, I mean, you can look this up. There was quite complex um, rules of, around this ritual. You know, they had to be careful about where the first set of water got poured and then when the second set of water got poured in case you kind of wash, washed the unclean bit into the clean and it all very complicated. But Jesus refused to do it. And I think he, he deliberately didn't do it. Because he was standing against what typifies the Pharisees' attitude. The, the, the ceremonial washing of hands, in one sense, was a symbol of everything wrong with the Pharisees. And then Jesus, in response to this surprise or shock from the Pharisee, he, he used that image of the washing up. So verse 39. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the, of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did he, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Look, Pharisees, you have missed the point completely. You have come so concerned about the outside, and yet you have neglected the inside. And God made both the outside and the inside. You can't neglect the inside. You've missed the point to the extent it's like washing up just the outside of the bowl and the cup. And then Jesus expresses his, his sadness, his concern, his um, anger at how they've been getting things wrong in these, these woes. That, that is, a woe is this expression of, of sadness. And first off, there are three woes to the Pharisees, three ways in which their hypocrisy showed. And you see them there on your sheets. And the first one is they, they lose sight of the important things. Verse 42, but woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus takes one clear example, tithing, giving. Uh, in the Old Testament, there are various places that say that God's people should give a tenth of their... Um, of their like, crops and things to give to the temple and to the priests uh, and that service. It's an Old Testament thing, 10% as a base, and actually there were other things too. And these Pharisees, well, they were doing it down to the herb. So not just, okay, my, my main crops, but no, the herb, my herb garden, I'm going to take off this thing of mint and I'm going to tear off a tenth of it and that's going to go to the, the temple and the other nine-tenths of that Herber for me. They were doing it down to the minute detail and yet Jesus says they were neglecting the important things. They were neglecting the love of God and of justice. A few weeks ago we saw how loving God with everything that we have and loving neighbor as ourselves are the, the fundamental things that God calls, his, calls everyone to 
In fact, we saw that we can't do that. But he's saying, look, you've neglected those things. You're not loving God with everything you've got. And as an expression of the fact you're not loving your neighbor, you're being unjust. You've neglected those massive things to pay attention to the, the small, tiny things. Now, for New Testament Christians, this so-called tithe or 10% is never held out as a command in the New Testament. So it is not, I don't believe it is something that we have to, Christians should give 10% to the church and gospel ministry. It may well be a helpful guideline for us. But, if, but say you do settle on 10%, and then it's that kind of thing of, right, okay, I'm going to give 10% of my salary, okay, I've got that, but I'm also going to, you know, my, my Chase bank cards, I get 1% cash back on all my purchases. Okay, now I need to work out 10% of my cash back from that, and I'm going to give that as well. And that Sainsbury's Nectar voucher, they gave me three pounds off, I've got to tie that, so there's 30p that I've got to remember to get. Getting so consumed in all these tiny things, and it's like, I'll do all that, but yet... I'm not loving God at all. And you know what? I will pay no attention to my neighbors. And if I can get a few quid off them, then great. Secondly, they love the acknowledgments of others. Verse 43, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Yeah, they love that acknowledgement of others. They love to be seen by others, to be, be doing really well, and to get that recognition. You know, I get that prime seat at the synagogue, and I love people saying, oh, they're so holy. They're so good. They've forgotten the fact that, well, it, it, they've forgotten the fact that true religion is practiced before God and for his approval alone. And again, that danger is so prevalent for us when we, when we crave the recognition from others for our spiritual achievements. Maybe you're there singing in church and anyone look at you going, wow, they're, they're singing away. They're singing out their, their praise and yet you could be singing, actually, I have no idea what I'm singing about. I know the words, blah, 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 blah. And I, my heart is not engaged at all. And teaching others without listening ourselves First, I'm going to do just enough prep in my junior church lesson to ensure that my co-leader thinks I've done a decent job and no more. That attitude is a real danger. Loving and doing our service for the acknowledgement of others rather than of God, for God. Thirdly, and most challengingly to the Pharisees then, are they are dead and a danger to others. I didn't understand what this meant at first. It took a while to get there. But verse 44, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. In the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament law, coming into contact with a dead body made you spiritually unclean. And therefore, graves were marked really clearly so that you wouldn't touch a grave and therefore become unclean. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're like an unmarked grave. Which means two things. Number one, that means you're, you're spiritually decaying. You're spiritually dead on the inside. And so much 
There was so much so, and maybe other people don't know that because you look all so good and shiny on the outside, but on the inside you're dead. And therefore, when people are coming into contact with you, they are becoming unclean. The people were coming into contact with the Pharisees and thinking, well, this is the way to do it. And we're becoming unclean themselves. It is possible for us today to be very active on the outside, to be moral and good and to be busy in church and yet be dead spiritually on the inside. And maybe no one else knows it. And maybe even yourself. Now, busy, 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 active, 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 and yet never stopping to pause and examine my own heart. Never investing time and effort and energy into keeping and guarding my own heart. Rather, it's all become about the external, about what I can do and what other people see in me. Three hugely challenging things to the Pharisees. Uh, and people recognize that. So verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. Uh, the lawyers, that was not working in the judicial system, these were experts in God's law. Uh, now, there was a bit of crossover between the groups, so you could be a Pharisee and you might also be a teacher of the law. Or you might be a teacher of the law and you may or may not be a Pharisee. There, there may probably some crossover between the groups. But anyway, the lawyer recognizes the challenge of what Jesus said. And he's saying, look, you're insulting us too. Us as experts in God's law. Jesus says, well, yeah. And so he adds three woes to the Pharisees. Firstly, and again, these things that we're to be, uh, be aware of, is that they are legalists. Verse 46. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. The legalists loved their rules and their regulations and their rituals. To take a very classic example of the kind of way they operated, the idea of the Sabbath. So, uh, God's people commanded to, to take a Sabbath day a week to rest from their labor, to guard it, protect it, to be devoted to the Lord's. But how do you do that? What does that look like? Can I watch football on the Sabbath? Should I go shopping on the Sabbath? You know, they had to wrestle with those kind of questions. And so the lawyers, the league, um, the, the lawyers then created a whole set of other rules around that Sabbath to show what it meant to keep the Sabbath what they thought it meant. And so that it was intended to help people keep God's law, but actually it harmed their spiritual lives. It reduced their relationship with God to a series of rule-keeping. It distracted them from what God really wanted, and it undermined God's word by adding all these things to it. He describes it as, as a burden, as being weighed down. Because all of a sudden the people weren't thinking about how can I have a day of rest and enjoy my relationship with God. All they were thinking now is, oh, crikey, I've got to keep this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule and this rule. It was a burden. And then the lawyers themselves, they didn't even lift a, lift a finger to try and help with it. Could, could mean two things. One, it could have mean 
You know, they dished out all these laws, but they knew all the loopholes how to get out of it themselves. I think probably meant they did nothing to help the people with it. Here are all these laws, go and do it. That, that's not the role of leaders of God's people. To be with them, to help them, and to, to, to show and to model how these things could be done. No, they were legalists. They loved the rules. And again, that is a real danger for us. You should have a quiet time every day. Every day you should read the Bible and pray. Been told that? I've probably said it, at least pretty much. Anywhere in here? Anywhere that says, right, every morning, the first thing you do, get up, 20 minutes of reading, then 10 minutes of responding in prayer, using the Acts model, and you've got to pray like that, and then you can get on with your day. Is that a good thing? Yes. Do I think we should all do that in the day? Yes. But is that something you have to do? Is that something if you think, actually, it works better for me in the evening? Are you doing wrong? No. But sometimes we can share things and say things such as, this is the way to be a Christian, and if you don't do it like this, then you're doing it wrong. Gate rules. Things that may be motivated by good, but if it comes down to, I must follow this, then it can distract us from, again, the important things. Beware of that danger. Next, um, they are killers of God's words. This is a bit more complicated, and we haven't got time to to go through it carefully. Um, But verse 47, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you built their tombs. He's saying, look, you, you lawyers, you're building a lovely tomb over there. But for one of the, one of the prophets of, from the Old Testament, you lovely tomb to commemorate them. And yet, it's as if you had killed that prophet because you are not paying attention to God's words. And that's what happened to them back then, to to almost all of these prophets that God sent to his people from Abel uh, to Zechariah, that's the illustration he gives. All of those people God sent, well, the people killed them, one after another. And he's saying the way that you are living, the way that you are rejecting God, it's as if you were there killing them yourself. You wanted nothing to do with God's word, rather they loved their own rules and regulations while hating God's words to them. It's a danger, a danger that we don't pay attention to God's word ourselves. We don't love it and and live in submission to it. And then finally, they hide the knowledge of salvation. Verse 52, Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. God's word had always meant to be the key which opened the door to life and relationship with God. God's word, which even in the Old Testament had Jesus at its center. Jesus, the key to that life and to relationship with God. Jesus, who was heading to Jerusalem to lay down his life, to pay for his people's sins, to take that 
corruption upon himself to bear the penalty and then bring us to God. And not only have you not walked through that door yourself, you are hindering others from doing it. Because, see what they went on to do in verse 53. And he, Jesus, went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him, to catch him in something he might say. You see, they're trying to hide Jesus away. They want to trap him, to get rid of him. He is the way, the key to life, and and the Pharisees are trying to stop them, and the lawyers are trying to stop people from coming to him. So six warnings. Six ways in which the Pharisees and the lawyers were hypocrites. Six things to watch out for, to be aware of. And again, although there are no Pharisees in that sense today, yet the yeast of Pharisees still remains a danger for us. You know, the, the, the attitude is there whenever we pretend to be more holy than we really are. Or when we're unwilling to confess sin or to, to seek help. When we establish man-made rules as the, the, the standard for everyone's holiness. When we're comfortable with our own sins, our own private sins, as long as no one else will find out. The danger is still there for us. It's why we need to beware and be careful. I do also want to say, though, that unfortunately, inconsistency is going to be with all Christians until heaven and the new creation. I don't want us all going away guilt-ridden because last week you said to the six-year-olds you should be kind and love on and then you went home and were horrible to your, your spouse or whatever it may be. Now, unfortunately, we, we are going to be inconsistent and we are going to have those things. And we need to be aware that, and beware that those things don't become patterns. Yes, we will all fail. Beware that they don't become a habit and a way of life. But how can we be on our guard? What will protect us from the hypocrisy and spiritual religious hypocrisy? Well, three things. (coughs) Excuse me. Firstly, we need the gospel of Jesus to change us from the inside out. The problem with these religious leaders is they went the other way. They were more concerned with the outside and they neglected the in. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Jesus has come for those with corrupt hearts, those who are often more concerned with what other people think rather than what God thinks. He's come to bring new hearts, to bring forgiveness and a clean heart, a new heart, and the Holy Spirit who moves into Christians to change from the inside out. And the changing of hearts, that then means that everything else will be clean. Here's the second thing, and which Jesus pointed, back, pointed to um, back in verse 41. So after that illustration of the washing up to the Pharisees, uh, see how he ends in verse 41? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Alms were... Um, maybe food or money given to the poor. Um, 
But, but Jesus kind of takes that language and, and adapts it and changes it and says, look, the things that are to be given aren't the money and the food, aren't external things. No, it's the internal things. Give and to God, first and foremost, give to God your, your heart, your soul, your, your mind, your energy. Give, give your insides to God. When, when the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms and changes us, and we want to live for God, and we want to give to God first, well then, all those other things will be pure too. Then there will be acceptable sacrifices. She's saying, look, first give yourself, and then give your gifts and everything else. So we need to be changed by the good news of Jesus, and we need to give ourselves first before anything else. And then there's one final thing that comes in chapter 12. So Jesus, again, has just said to, to his disciples, beware the use of the Pharisees. And then he offers us one final challenge, or one warning. Because hypocrisy thrives and is built on the idea that the truth won't get out. Because no one knows what's going on in my heart and going on behind closed doors. And so hypocrisy thrives then with that idea and is based upon the idea that it won't be found out. But Jesus says, verse 2, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the private rooms shall be proclaimed on the rooftops. More often than any of us would like, any, more than any of us would like, um, the truth does get out, and people do find out about those, those things that we hope would be hidden. But even if they don't, there will be a day when Jesus returns, when he will bring to light all those things. And there will be a reckoning for those things. Now, he, he blows up that assumption that, that I can keep these things hidden. Because he reminds us that the audience isn't so much each other that we might be able to hide things from, but it's God's. God sees, God knows. Again, if you, you're here today and, and you've been put off Christian things, perhaps because of religious hypocrisy that you've seen, know that that is not what Jesus calls his people to. He calls people to come as broken sinners, not to get ourselves up to this standard that somebody else has set, but to come as we are, come calling to him for grace and forgiveness. And for those of us who are Christians already, maybe there's something, but particularly maybe one or two of these warning signs that you perhaps identified and you need to go home today and go, Lord, I'm sorry for these things. I see these things in my heart. Forgive me. Change me. Continue to change me from the inside out. You might find it helpful to, to talk to somebody as well, as well as God. Maybe your spouse or a good Christian friend. Again, hip hypocrisy breeds in secrecy. And there is a great liberating freedom from... It, sharing these struggles with somebody else and having them help you and pray for you. Again, maybe that would be a helpful thing for you to do today. But at the very least, go to God, ask for forgiveness, just like he told us to. 
the Lord's Prayer a couple of weeks ago. Let's pray as we conclude. Father, these are really challenging things for us. Father, they um, challenge our, our, our hearts and our attitudes deep down. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be honest and open with ourselves and with you and when necessary with others maybe. Father, we pray that there would be a greater consistency between the inside and the out. Please, Father, work in all of our hearts and lives. Please guard us against this danger of hypocrisy. Please keep us from it both individually and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.